Welcome to Ella Go. My name is Lisa, and this is not just a podcast about running. This is a podcast to empower women through fitness and health and everything in between. Because let's be honest, ladies, this journey could suck if we don't get our shit together. Welcome back, everyone. Today, my guest is Taylor Proctor. She is a transformational happiness mentor, happiness podcaster, and speaker. She blends her experience as a global marketing director, leading international teams with her mentoring certification to help her clients, which are individuals who find themselves wishing for more purpose, peace, and happiness to discover their personal happiness routines. So together with her clients, she uncovers and implements the life they've always dreamed of. Whether she's podcasting, training a group, or working one-on-one with her clients, she loves sharing actionable techniques and exercises to inspire positive change, increase confidence, encourage vulnerable leadership, I love that, (laughs) and remind others that they're capable of happiness abound. Welcome, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that we finally get the chance to be chatting here today, and I'm so honored and delighted to be here. Well, I'm happy that you're here. I know that we were talking previously to this to the recording, and it was actually interesting how much in common we had. <laughs> yeah. um, so why don't we? Uh, why don't I ask you about your background? Just give us a brief discussion about your background story. Sure. So in my early 20s, uh, life kind of kicked me around a little bit. Uh, and I usually just kind of end it there, but I, I had some things happen. I had an early divorce. Uh, I had a family member at the age of three pass away. And I, there was just a lot of things that had happened, upheaval of job, all these things that can happen to us in life. And it just kind of kicked me around a little bit. And I started these habits unknowingly that led me to feel angry all the time. And I was so angry and bitter, but also overwhelmed by sadness. And I would put off the things that were important to me because I just didn't feel like I had the self-worth or the motivation even. And it just felt like everything around me was chaos. And I had built these habits in place that had kept me there. And I used to be happy when I was younger, but as we get older, we just go with things. And I found that several years later, looking around, my husband was like, where did you go? You used to be so happy because he knew me when I was younger, used to be so happy. And now you're just angry all the time. And that really hit me hard on the fifth time that he said it to me. (laughs) And I was like, wait a minute, I, I don't want my spouse to be asking me these questions. Like, yeah, I, I really am angry all the time. And I just lose my temper at the drop of a hat. And here my spouse is not threatening divorce or anything like that. But you know, our brains go there. And I'm like, this is like the fifth, sixth time that he's brought this up. And I'm angry all the time. So I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose my marriage. And then I looked at like my life in terms of my professional career. I was missing out on promotions, so pay raises too. I was missing out on projects and opportunities because I 
was angry all the time. So I wasn't building and fostering relationships. Nobody wanted to work with me. And then couple that with my health, I was trying to eat away all the negative emotions except for anger. And so I was eating cans of frosting like every night. I was overweight. I was unhappy. I wasn't working out. And I just had all of these things come to a head where I was like, okay, I can't keep living like this, but I don't know how to change. And I realized that I had an expectation. I had an expectation that happiness was inherent. Mm. And there's this difference because the desire to be happy is inherent. You ask anybody, and hopefully at this stage in our life, we don't have any like worst enemies. But if you do, their thing is that they want to be happy. Mm-hmm. You want to be happy. So as I looked at my, my life and I went, okay, what do I want? I realized that I just really wanted to be happy and not angry. And I wanted to finally feel at peace. But the roadblock to that was, is that I thought that happiness itself, not the desire, but happiness itself was inherent. So when I looked at other people and they were happy and I just couldn't seem to get it together, I just kept on going back to the habit of anger. I felt broken. I felt wrong. I felt defective. And that just exasperated this anger and this sadness and this chaos and this this procrastination and putting off my goals and all of these things that were happening. It just kept on happening. And I finally realized that I have this expectation that happiness is inherent, but if it's a learned skill, now I feel like it's back in my control and I can put the emphasis towards that and start building instead of angry habits, happiness habits in my life. And so I started to take small steps to do that and self-care and the five arenas of that really leaning into my happiness habits and routines, I started to see a change. And after several years, I wish I could say it was like, oh yeah, three months and I was golden. <laughs> was not the case. But after, after several years, I looked back and went, wow, I really, I am happy. I really am. And if I look at those three areas, like my health and fitness, I was taking better care of myself because I felt like I was worth it finally. And I was eating healthier and I was working out. And if I look at my, my job opportunities, holy cow, promotions after promotions and relationship building and coworkers being like, I want you to come work at my place now that they've, they've left where you were before. Come work with me because I loved working with you. And so, so many opportunities and things there. And then my relationship with my husband has completely flourished and our communication is so much better. And all of these things in my life have up-leveled because I realized the expectation that I had and that the happiness habits I could be putting in place could change my life. And then I realized I did this in a very long period of time. And I'm sure I know there are people out there who are like, I was, and I want to be able to help them. And so that's when I became a certified mentor and I put on my emphasis, which is transformational happiness. And I started my podcast, Happiness Abound, and I've been helping people ever since. I love that idea. I, I know that today we're going to be talking about self-care. That's pretty much the topic. And it's more of these this uh, based on our experiences, me being in my 40s, you being in your 30s, and what does that look like? But before we even talk about that, I I saw a video of you talking about your anger and mm. I was shocked. Like I couldn't believe that, you know, the, what you were talking about, knowing, you know, how you are now. And I was like, wow. So even though you said you went through this, you know, this transformation, and it almost sounds like you had this mind shift because you said, I want to be happy. 
And I think you're not alone in this. A lot of people want to be happy, right? But how do they do it? Like, what could you just give one thing that I'm sure there were many things? Definitely. But what is one thing that really started it off? Because we talk about this mind shift, we talk about just be happy or I want to be happy, but where the hell do we start? Like we're think, think positively. And it's like, yeah, okay, exactly. Exactly. So for you, what was it that kind of like, you know, was the catalyst to get things rolling? Uh, I would say it's probably a two-parter if I was, yeah, there's three things that I would say are like foundational, but two can go together um, to make the one that you want, you asked for. So the first one, of course, is that expectation that I had that belief. Because the second that I went, well, wait a minute, if it's not inherent, that means it's out like, cause inherent implies that it's outside of my control. Mm-hmm. So if I can shift that to something that can be a learned skill, something I can work towards something I can, in, I, that I can just embrace and move towards, then it's in my control. When I had that other belief, I felt like oh, it's just coming so easy to everybody else. And I'm so I mean, so angry all the time. And I would just instantaneously, my, my husband had a phrase, hell hath no fury, like Taylor mildly inconvenienced. Wow. And it's so true. I mean, the smallest thing would just set me off. I was so angry and mad all the time. And so when I looked and I saw people were happy and I thought it was inherent, I truly believed that I was broken. Mm. And that, that is heartbreaking. Like I look at that now and I'm tearing up because I felt defective. I felt wrong. And I felt like, what is the point of this? If everyone else is happy and I'm just broken and I'm going to like, I keep on trying, but you start to lose hope Mm -hmm. and you keep on trying, but you don't really know what you're doing. You just are like, I'm trying to be happy. I'm trying to think positively. And then when the negative thoughts or the anger come up, you feel like you just took 10 steps back. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing is that shift of that belief that it's not inherent to be happy. The desire is inherent, but Mm -hmm. happiness can be a learned skill. And that puts it back onto you Mm -hmm. where you can own it. You can control it. And then you can provide yourself the grace. If you do, you do mess up because it's habitual. If you do backtrack, it's okay because it doesn't mean you're broken or wrong. It means you're learning, growing, and you can take that, analyze it and see how you could do differently next time. So that's the like part A of the one thing, (laughs) right? And then the other thing that I, I have every single one of my clients do, like sign the contract. This is the first thing we do working together. Like you sign the contract. This is the next day from the whole 10 week period that we work together. And it is send yourself or send me in the case of my clients, but a daily success. And I love this because when you are thinking and that you're stuck in anger and all these things, you only see the failures. Mm. And your brain keeps track. Your brain builds up evidence. So when you said, I'm going to be happy, I'm committed to being happy. And then you lose your temper. Your brain goes, well, I guess that didn't work. It's just one more chop up for the broken side. One more chalk that up to being angry all the time. That's just who you are. You're never going to be happy. Like that negative voice comes in and your brain just tallies those negative experiences. And so it helps you feel, helps you, not really, but it builds that evidence and, and makes you feel like you're impossible to be happy. Like it's not going to happen. So by tracking a daily success, it trains our brain to build evidence in the positive side. So it's so funny. And I, this is one of my favorite things. When I work with my clients, the first like one to three weeks, 
that text at the end of the day of one of their successes comes very last thing before they go to sleep. Like, oh crap, I've got to send Taylor a daily success. What was successful today? Uh, Okay, right? And I just get like a little teeny thing and it's at the end of the day. And then from weeks like four to six, I start getting them in the middle of the day because they're now actively being like, okay, what, what can I send Taylor that's a success? And they're building that, that positive piece. And so then they're like, I just had a great meeting at work or I just landed a client. I'm going to, I'm going to hurry and type that out to Taylor. And then I'm done for the day, but now they're registering their successes in real time. And then by the week seven to 10, oh my gosh, it's my favorite. I get novels. What was like, ah, oh, just one little thing. And then like a couple little things in the middle of the day. Now I'm getting full on like novels, scroll, 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 scroll of text that is them telling me all the great things that happened to them in that day. And that is the uh, training of the brain to look at the positive and to help you understand that when you have that positive evidence that you are doing good things or you're successful, it helps you start to feel from this space of, I can't do it, it helps you start to feel capable. And when you start to feel capable, you can start to feel qualified. And your brain just keeps on building up that qualifying evidence. And then when you start to feel qualified, you can start to feel confident. And the second you feel confident, everything in your life ripples out to be better. And like, you're unstoppable. And Mm -hmm. so that is a, such a foundational piece of a happiness habit that can help you transform your life. And it's, it's not going to say it's easy because it can be really hard at first to pick out your successes, but as you get it as a habit, you can see it really change your life. And it's almost like a gratitude practice, but instead of saying, I'm grateful for this, this, and this, it's identifying and being grateful for yourself, which I think is huge. Yeah. I think that's amazing because that's not easy. That's not easy coming from a place of anger, hurt, and pain. And I think that it almost sounds like from the way you're speaking that you came to this self-awareness. I think that, you know, being aware of it and doing and having that mind shift. And I almost feel like every time people are aware of their behavior and how they think, it's like a snap. Like, whoa, did I just say that in my head? Whoa, did I just, why did I just yell at that person who's a stranger in the in, on the street that's crossing my path you know it's just it stops it's just like a little like the record stops and that's that that there's that self-awareness and it almost sounds like when you were talking about your story you had that and then it's just finding those tools which I love and you're you're right because you're making these clients I don't want to say making them but you're encouraging these clients to find something within their life and their in their journey in that day that's good. And then it's like, oh my God, I did that. Wow. Yeah. I should be proud of myself. I should, you know, that you're igniting that and that just putting that together and being accountable. I mean, there's a lot of steps here that you're doing here because it's the self-awareness. Then they got to be accountable because they're like, oh crap, I got to, I got to tell Taylor, (laughs) you know, (laughs) something and you, and it's, it's, it's genius. It's a genius program or plan or however you're dealing with your clients. It's genius because you're, you're creating this amazing space for them. And I could, I could, I could see how they're then creating these journals for you to read because they're just so happy to share a piece of their life with you, Taylor. Oh my God. How amazing is that? I mean, you must feel amazing every time you get that. 
it is the best feeling in the world because there's also this component too that like I don't take the credit, I don't do the work. I my favorite thing about my job is that I have the ability to say, let's try this. And it was funny because you said, um, like looking at your journey or looking at my journey and I had that self-awareness. I believe that part of the formula, if there is a formula for happiness is identity plus vision, plus mindset, plus leadership equals happiness. And identity is the first thing in that formula because an understanding of who you are, your templates Mm -hmm. in the world makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. And the core thing of that is, is when I get to work with people, it's not do this because it worked for me. Mm -hmm. It's guess what? Yeah, we have a similar story. You're you are angry and you want to change that. I have been there. But let's find what works for you and equip you with the tools in your toolbox so that after our 10-week period together, you can continue with the happiness habits that help you feel happy every day. And those may not be the same habits that I use every day, but we'll find the tools together and and equip you to move forward. And that's my favorite thing because it's not me. I'm just a facilitator. Mm-hmm. It's all them doing the work, which also is a big thing because I think when we get help, at least this was my thought for so long, is when I would get help when I was angry, I would start to attach that I was only doing well because that person was helping me. It was them and everything they were doing. And so I'm very cognizant of, this has nothing to do with me. I'm just the person saying, let's try this. Oh, that happened here. What if we shift this? Try this for a week. And let's see what works for you. And they're doing the work. They're transforming their life. Right. I just get I get the honor to watch it. Right. And I, I know we're we're gonna be talking about self-care. We're gonna get that, but I I also feel that because you've been through it makes you relatable. I mean, that's a huge thing to see how I mean, I'm just feeling your energy right now. You're making me smile. I'm feeling the positive. I mean, it's coming right through the screen. I could feel it. You've got this positive energy. And then to tell somebody, oh, I wasn't like this all the time. It's it's a shocker. And and it's a shocker and it gives hope because it's saying, wow, if she can do it, so can I. So I think that's a huge part of it. And I love the fact that you treat everybody as an individual and don't say, this is the way to do it. This is how I did it. And I love that you give them different options to reach that level of positivity and happiness. But okay, enough of that. I'll talk about, <laughs> we'll talk about the self-care. So, you know, some of the things that we, we talked about previously was what does self-care look like, you know, in different times of our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where we kind of were talking about, you know, what does it look like to you versus what it looks like to to, my, to me because of my experiences. So why don't we start talking about what did self-care look like in our 20s? I mean, did you even know what it was in your 20s? Uh, I had vast misconceptions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also being angry, my anger was a lot, it was a cover up. For any time I felt vulnerable, I felt weak and my fight, flight, or freeze would kick in and I'm a fighter. So I would get angry. And anger is a more societal accept, society accepted emotion, right? And so anytime I felt feel weak or vulnerable, I would get angry. So now let's couple that with this idea that self-care is for the weak, which is what I had in my mind in my 20s. I had this idea that it was for the weak. Um, that also it was nothing but spa days and things like that. So it was when you're in your early twenties, uh, 
I don't know about you, but I didn't have any money. So I'm like, this feels excessive. Like this feels like a financial burden to invest in self-care. And so I'm going to go buy the Walmart $1 face masks and try to have a calm night. But in the middle of that, I was also angry all the time. So I was like, this is weak. This is lame. This is not something that I really care about. It's excessive. It's a burden financially. And it's just, it takes time out of what I'm trying to accomplish. And so I didn't even think self-care was really a thing. And I had all these misconceptions that it was, to put it lightly, like it was just this woo-woo bullshit in my head. And all it meant was taking long, luxurious baths, putting on a face mask, and if you could afford it, going to the spa. Mm -hmm. And in my 20s, that's what I thought it was. And obviously that is a vast misconception, but that's what I believed it was. And I didn't actively participate in self-care hardly at all. Yeah, neither have I. I, I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> you know, if someone said the word self-care in my 20s, I would have been like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. You know? And I think that I was, you know, in my mind, if it was about taking care of myself, I think I was the same way that you were thinking, you know, it's the going to the spa and who has time for that or who has money for that because it is expensive. And, you know, I, I honestly did not even know what that word was. And I think for me is because I didn't see my mother do self-care. Oh, yeah. You know, could you, I mean, could you relate, you know, we think about, you know, how we grew up. And, you know, I talk about this a lot. You know, I, I remember my mother not doing self-care or I shouldn't say doing self-care. I would say she never took care of herself. Like she never, you know, made herself look good or go out and do something for herself. I didn't, maybe, maybe I didn't call it self-care, but I would say to myself, I don't want to be like that. But then I didn't know what that, what it looked like to do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, would you say that, I mean, what was your experience with that? You know, I didn't pay attention, honestly. I, I, it wasn't ever a thing where I actively saw my mom do anything, but that doesn't mean that it didn't happen, but it wasn't talked about. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, but I will say like on a physical self-care front in like a, almost a vanity thing, uh, <laughs> my mom was awesome about that. She was like, I was in seventh grade and she's like, okay, a uh, couple of things. You can't say you're going to go play with your friends anymore. You should probably start using the terminology hang out. <laughs> you're in seventh grade. <laughs> and then she was also like, I'm going to teach you how to shave your legs. And then uh, we got a lazy boy and she like oh. leaned me back, grabbed a lamp and was like, we're plucking your eyebrows. We're going to teach you how to do it. And then you're on your own. And so like we had, I had crash courses in like <laughs> taking care of myself and like how to be a teenager. But mm -hmm. I, I never saw her engage in anything other than like maybe that type of self-care. Mm -hmm. And so, and I also didn't pay attention. I was very much, um, and this is interesting, like the high drive and the anger and the constant going and like, we don't slow down to take care of ourselves. That is something I learned very heavily from my father. Mm. Um, and my parents are married, like, so they were both there, but I was always out, um, working in the yard with my dad or we were playing sports and he was my coach. And I was a, a four sport athlete. And so I was always going, going, going. And so there was never this time to really reset. And I never really saw that time to reset. So I think it's funny because you say, look at our mothers. And I know I'm not your average mother runner podcast, <laughs> but I also have to look at my dad and go, I, I embody a lot of that. Like, no, we don't, we don't slow down. We keep on going mm -hmm. because I learned that from him, which is interesting because now in his 
older age, I do see him as an adult, like, you know, so I don't think you register quite as much as a kid, but as an adult, I do see my parents taking care of themselves. I do see them leaning into that more. And that could be an age thing. It could be as you get older, you want to take better care of yourself than maybe you did in your younger twenties, thirties, forties. And you just keep on, as you get older, you're more like, okay, I actually value my life. I like who I am instead of trying to like fight and battle all of that other stuff. But yeah, I would say I probably had the most influence from my dad, but I wasn't really paying attention to like my mom in that front. Yeah. That, you know, you were talking and then I started thinking and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I do remember when I thought of self-care or when we're talking about self-care, I do remember her doing a lot for my father and my family. Mm. And I told myself, I didn't want to do that. Like to me, I guess in a sense, maybe self-care at that time was taking care of myself, meaning I have a great job, I hustle, I, I don't have to depend on anybody, I'm not going to be cooking and cleaning for anybody. I think that in my mind, because now that you're talking, because that's the type of environment I had, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, my dad made the money, he came home, dinner was already on the table, and I used to remember, I used to think to myself, I ain't doing that. <laughs> I ain't doing that. Well, you, bring um, up, you bring up a really nice dichotomy, dichotomy though, because for so many people and usually stay at home mothers who have invested so much to make sure their family's taken care of, self-care can feel selfish. Mm-hmm. So there's this, there's, there's a flip side of like, some people don't engage in self-care because it feels like it's selfish. While other people go, I'm, I do care about myself. So I'm going to push really, really hard and have my life be what I want it to be. And then they're burning out because they're not taking care of themselves in the five areas of self-care. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you said that. So now we're going to go into our thirties. <laughs> <laughs> so like, so in your thirties or how did you come to this realization where you had to do this self-care or what is it? What did it look like? I mean, at what point did you know what it was and did, did something happen for you to make that realization? I would say a lot of it is built in the happiness habits. I was trying and I, and I continue to evolve in my life. And so I was trying to integrate these happiness habits. And I realized that one of my biggest fears, and this is so interesting because I think back on it often. Anytime that I feel myself struggling, I'm like, okay, why do I not want to move forward here? And I really value being a high drive, high performance person. And I thought that if I invested in self-care, if I thought it would slow me down, I didn't want to touch it, right? As I became aware of what self-care was and thinking, still thinking it was only physical self-care, but I was like, well, yeah, I get it. We need to do more of that. But I, I felt like if I took care of myself in the other spaces, so like the emotional or the intellectual or even the spiritual, that it would slow me down and I would lose my drive. And I would describe myself, I still do, but it has a different connotation now. I would describe myself to people, oh yeah, like what's your favorite thing about you? And I would always say my drive. I'm so driven. I love that about myself and I usually can outwork anybody. And so I didn't want to invest in self-care early, like 30, 30, because I'm only 32. But (laughs) in my 30, like year 30, I... I didn't want to slow down and I didn't want to lose that core part of myself. And for some reason, I thought that self-care would do that to me. And in truth, as I explored my happiness habits, 
And I went, okay, well, like, what are the things that can set me up for success and success equaling happiness, equaling success, not success, equaling happiness. There is that difference, right? But set me up for success here for my own happiness. I realized that I did need to take care of myself. Otherwise I would get burned out. You can only be high drive for so long. So if I'm a, if I'm the type of person who's like, I want to be at peak performance, I need to figure out how to get myself there frequently because 24 seven is not going to work. And then I won't be at peak performance. Mm. And so self-care has really evolved for me on what habits and routines can I put into my place, into my life and put in place daily so that I can move forward and be my best self. I'm not losing that high drive piece, but I also am taking care of myself. And that has evolved in conjunction with all the other happiness things. It's a, it's obviously a, a puzzle here, but that has evolved to that self-worth piece and finally feeling like in my twenties, I didn't feel like I was worth crap. Mm. So I didn't feel like I could invest in myself. And then I leaned on the fact that I'm driven. So I don't want to slow down. I don't want to lose that. And now over the last two years, I'm realizing and have realized that I am worth it and I can slow, slow air quotes, slow down and take a second to go, what's going to set me up for success and keep on going and not lose that drive. So self-care for me now is this culmination of self-love and happiness and habits and routines and making sure that I'm setting myself up for the life that I want, which is one of joy, peace, and happiness. It's funny you're talking about that. So in my 30s, when I, <laughs> when I got married and had a kid, um, that changed, you know? I mean, I think for me, I was very conflicted, conflicted because here I come from a background where you are supposed to give your all to your child and your husband. But inside my body, and this is, this is where I, I, get, I get conflicted with the whole idea of nurture versus nature, but within my soul, that wasn't me. I didn't want to do that. And yet I kept feeling pulled to be that person to take care of my daughter. And because I'm a mom, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to take care of her. Forget about me. Well, once you have a kid, like this is what people would say. Once you have a kid, forget it. It's over. You know, forget well, about you taking. That. You saw that with your mom growing up. Exactly. And you this. Exactly. And I remember it was like this, it was like a pull push, pull. It was like constant like that with my husband then and my daughter. Um, And then when I finally realized that I got to do me. So I would actually wake up early in the morning when she was sleeping, uh, like even five o'clock in the morning to watch my TV shows with my coffee in silence with my dog. And, you know, when she was ready to wake up, then I was ready. But what happened was, in my experience, see, when you change and you start doing that, the people around you might not like that. So if my experience, my ex-husband, my husband then didn't like that, you know, I was supposed to be taking, I was supposed to be taking care of him and the kid and, and the child and that wasn't working. And I think that was probably part of the many reasons I, I got divorced but now as a single mom, I re- recognize it even more because it's just me. And if I'm not good, 
my daughter is not going to get the best care. I'm not going to be the best parent. I'm not going to, you know, like running is my Prozac. I got to get my Prozac in. If I don't get my Prozac in, mommy's not in a good mood. My daughter knows it. She'll say, did you run today? <laughs> did you do a workout? No, I didn't get you to do the workout. She's like, yeah, you're not in a good mood. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And the greatest part about this, Taylor, I will say, and this is for anybody that's listening, me doing this for myself has taught my daughter how to do self-care. She's nine. She's nine and she knows what self-care is. When, when she's in a bad mood, she'll say, I need some time alone, mommy. I need to do my thing. I need to go in my room. I just don't, I don't want to be with anyone. I need to take care of myself. You talk about, and she says, you talk about self-care, mommy. I need to take care of myself. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, And that is huge because she's going to see that. And as she grows and becomes, gets into these relationships, she's going to put those boundaries up and say, this is what self-care looks like for me. And you're going to have to respect that. And if you're not, then you're not someone that has to be in my space. Changing so, the narrative. Exactly. And I love that I did some breaking of the cycle, um, <laughs> you know, um, but that's how it looks like for me in my 40s. But I could say that it's not like that for a lot of moms. I think that they're like you mentioned that selfish. I'm, I'm being selfish. And I think that someone brought it up. I don't know if it was you or somebody else. I think so many people bring up this example of when you're on the plane and you mm. need to put the, you know, the oxygen mask on your face first. I, I remember hearing that. And I'd be like, what? That's crazy. What about the kid? Uh, I could lose consciousness and who's going to take care of her? So yeah. you have to put that mask on first and then take care of your child. I mean, that's like the best example, is it not? I think it is. And I, I love that you, you said that you're teaching her through your actions and examples, because I mean, I've had conversations, other areas of self-care. One of them is um, like this intellectual piece. And part of that also could be like financial self-care. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I was having a conversation with a friend and we were talking about how we change it up just a little bit, but how as women, the pre-existing narrative is that you don't ask for raises because that's selfish and entitled, you just have to expect that they'll come to you. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about that. And I was like, I very cognizantly have been like, I will ask for a raise. I will have all of my stuff mapped out. I will show my value <laughs> and say, and I won't say like, I won't demand it, but I'll be like, this is where I want to be. This is what I've been doing. If this isn't enough to get me there, what are our next steps? Like, what's the plan, the solution? Can we work together? Um, but we were talking and she goes, and she's my age. And she said, I've actually never asked for a raise. And I said, you haven't? She goes, no, I'm just really weird about it. And she has a little girl. And I know she wants her little girl to have everything. And so I said, look, you need to ask for a raise. And she, I said, I don't care if you think you deserve it or not. You do. And you need to ask for a raise. And she's like, I know. I just, I just I said, okay, look, I'm going to take out the just part just for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and I want you to think of your little girl. Do you want her to be the type of woman that feels confident enough in her skills to ask for a raise. And what are you going to do when you've raised her? You have feminist quotes on the wall. You have all of these things in her life that are building her up. And she comes to you and says, mom, I think I'm going to ask for a raise because you've trained her to be that way. You've built her to be this amazing empowered woman. And she goes, how should I go about it? And you say, you don't know because you've never asked for one. 
And she was like, you're right. I need to ask for a raise. I'm like, totally. You need to ask for a raise. You need the practice of it. You need to be able to say, I've done this and feel confident in it. And if it doesn't work out, have a game plan and not be your self-worth isn't tied to that, but it can be a form of self-care to look at things like that and go, okay, so it's not selfish for me to take care of myself. It's not entitlement or any of these other things that have been attached to it. It's an opportunity for me to be my best self, to improve my life, and also be an example for those who are most important to me. And I'm glad you brought that up because that we can segue to the misconceptions of self-care. You know, it's not just this spa and this getting your nails done or not even just going to work out. I mean, taking care of yourself financially, cutting debt, uh, asking for the raise. I mean, what are some of the misconceptions that you hear when, we, when people think of self-care? The biggest ones are self-care is just physical. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because if you look at, and I'm not bashing this at all. I think it's amazing. It's a piece. And I look at self-care, if it's these five arenas and you look at it like a circle, like a wheel, right? If you have just one piece of the, the wheel, you're going to go, 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 as you're on the axle, there's just, there's just one. So it's like very slow, very slow going. It's very rough. Right. And if you get two, three, four, five, suddenly you have a will and you have momentum and you're moving forward. Mm. And I, what I see is that a lot of people focus solely on the physical and the industry of physical self-care is booming because yes. it does. It takes you from having no will at all mm-hmm. to the, okay, I'm getting some momentum, but it's still a little rough. And so we believe that I see a lot of people go, I'm becoming, uh, I'm going into physical fitness and I want to help people there. And but then they look at themselves and they go, I'm happier because I'm taking care of myself physically, but I'm still not quite where I want to be. I don't have the momentum I'm really looking for. And that's the misconception is that if you get the physical down, everything else will fall into place. When the truth of it is, is you get the physical down, you have a very great foundation to build the momentum for the other arenas, which are, of course, physical. Then you have emotional, social, intellectual, and spiritual. And emotional is the one that most people leave out because emotions are hard. And we're both, Mm. we're both in America, right? Mm -hmm. America emotions are way hard. Like we don't touch those with a 10 foot pole. We just get angry and that's it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we, we suppress our emotions. And so emotional self-care for a lot of people is like, oh, so I, I, I'm going to be weak and vulnerable and I'm going to cry and I don't want to have to do that. So I'm not going to do emotional self-care. And the thing is, is it's not that. Emotional self-care is identifying what you're feeling, understanding why, allowing yourself to be in that space for a minute, and then going, okay, so is it okay that I stay here? Or if I don't want to stay here, what needs to change? What needs to shift? And looking at that why, and then swinging back to the other side of the pendulum. But it's not, emotional self-care is not me just dumping on you because you're my friend. It's like, okay, great. We took care of it. <laughs> right? And it doesn't happen like that. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. And so I'd say the top two misconceptions are that self-care is purely physical. And that's hard enough for so many people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but self-care is purely physical is the first misconception. And then the second misconception is that emotions are not part of self-care. And in fact, they very much are. I think so what, what do you think the misconception? I'm I'm with you. I mean, I was you were talking. I was like, yep, yep, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I was like, I was saying to somebody, 
you know, with some of the people that come to me and looking to lose weight or run or get fit, um, there is a mental component with that. And you're right. They think that if I get fit or if I lose the weight, I'm going to find this happiness and I'm taking care of myself. However, you need to work on your, the emotional, the mental, your mental health, because that is what, that is probably what's driving you to behave a certain way and getting you into these places that you don't want to be because you, yeah, you lost the weight. And this is, and I'm going to use this as an example. You lost the weight. Okay. And you thought you're doing self-care and you, oh, I'm, I'm really fit. I'm, I'm taking care of myself. I lost, you know, 150 pounds, whatever. And then you sit there. Now what? Now what? How do I continue doing this? Did I, am I happy? Why am I not happy? Well, God, shit still pissing me off. What's going on? I didn't find that, you know, that happiness. I thought when I hit that goal of 150 lost weight, I'm going to be happy. And you're absolutely right. It's no one thinks about that emotional. I think I got to be honest with you. I think that the younger generation, I, I want to say my daughter's generation, they're very vocal about how they feel. I feel angry at you right. I'm angry at you right now. And I see it among her girlfriends and I'm just like, whoa, like, wow. Like to be open and vulnerable with your emotions, uh, that is a big part of it with the self-care. And that's why I will say, and I know people don't like to talk and say therapy. I am a big, comp- I am a big proponent for therapy. I talk about it. I say I go. It's maintenance. Like if something's going down in my life and I'm like, shit, I can't get out of this. I got to go visit my therapist. I got to fix this shit. You know, I got to do something because there's only so much I can do on my own. And I still need to take care of that piece of my mind because everything else, like you said, the wheel, that is like the perfect, I mean, the way you ex- described it is exactly, you don't need to, you're only taking care of that one piece. And it's, there's so many other fast, other uh, elements to this self-care, to this ultimately being happy. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you with those uh, misconceptions of self-care. I don't think people really talk about it when you say it to somebody. Right. Well, and I think the biggest one too is, and I'm going to take us back to like the financial piece for a second. You could have lost 20 pounds or you run every day and you're in amazing shape, but you have crippling debt. Yes. Does that feel like your dream life? No. But what we do is we go, oh, well, I have debt and I'm just going to pay the minimum payment. I'm just, I'll make sure it's whatever. And I'm not going to focus on that. And we think that that's like, by not focusing and focusing on the thing that is the perception of normal self-care, which is a part of the pie, part of the wheel, that it's all going to be okay. But the thing is, is you're like, if you sat down and did the budget and you stuck to that budget, that is a form of self-care because you're setting your future self up for success and putting a piece of that pie together and give, building the momentum so that all other areas grow and build. And I think that's just the biggest thing is that we want to focus on one and we should, we should focus on one and then kind of get that habitual and then move to the others. It's hard to be, it can feel overwhelming to hit them all, but eventually you will. And it is that maintenance, like going to therapy where it's like, I'm in a good space. I've been taking care of myself. Something kind of 
we bumped on a rock with my will. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to make sure we're going to go in, get everything kind of checked out, make sure we're solid and then keep on going. But for so many of us, I think that it is this mindset that if I just do one, I'll be great. And then, and not even just in the self-care space, but for so many people and myself included back in the day, I was very much, I'll be happy when. Mm. I'll be happy when I get that degree. I'll be happy when I get that great paying job. I'll be happy when I have the nice car, when I have the beautiful house, when I'm married and I have a smart spouse, when we have kids, and then when I have that corner office or when I have a successful business. Then I'll have met the societal checklist of success and that will equal happiness in my head and so many people's heads. But the truth of it is, is that we follow that checklist and that checklist also doesn't support self-care. Mm-hmm. And so when we get to it and we look around, we go, oh gosh, I have, I'm successful, but I'm not happy and I don't know how to take care of myself. So the first thing I'm going to do is going to try to focus on the physical, which is great. Yeah. And then, but then it's looking at all the other pieces and building the life that you want. Right. Um, so let's talk about the benefits of it. You know, I mean, yes. we talk about it. Obviously, we, we mentioned a lot of the physical part where it's the losing weight and the endorphins and feeling happy, the happy pill, you know. But what are some other benefits from the self-care? Yeah, I would say, like, if we're going to run through an exercise, imagine your dream life. For most people, the dream life does include I'm 20 pounds lighter or I have a six pack, or I'm running every day, things like that. But then the rest of your dream life is not just that one component. So you're looking at like, okay, well, I'm debt-free. I have $30,000 in savings. Um, I hang out with my friends. Uh, we go and have girls' nights or whatever that could look like. I, take, I, I might be more introverted. So if I'm working all day with people, I have time to like recover at the end of the day. Like, what does your dream life look like? And what does that look like within the areas of self-care? So physical, yes. Emotional, most people. My dream life, I just want to be happy and I want to feel joy and I want to laugh every day and I want to play with my kids. Mm-hmm. I want to have that time. I want to have that ability. I want to go and have those girls nights. I want to go on date nights with my spouse. I want to be growing. I want to go and get my finish my degree or I want to become certified this or I'd love to learn more about this thing or even... I've always wanted to take glass blowing classes. And so in my dream life, that's what that I would be doing that. And then spiritual, I'm, I'm connected to my higher power or my highest self. So when we look at like what our dream life is, it's never just that one piece. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the benefits of self-care, is, it is encompassing all of those pieces. And without self-care, you might get one or two of those things, but the likelihood of getting them all is slim because you haven't taken the seconds to reset and evaluate and pivot. Mm -hmm. Self-care can be that. Uh, You haven't taken the steps to go, all right, I've done so much focus here, 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 but there's this part of my dream life that's here. We don't slow down and look at that. We're just like, I'm just going to keep on going, keep on going. But it's like, if you take that second of self-care and go, what do I want? What is it that my dream life looks like? And how could I, how could I get there? And who do I have to be to get that dream life? And then you start taking care of yourself in the way that your ideal person would take care of themselves. So uh, honestly, like there's, like you said, endorphins and all these other things, like scientific methods of this, there's so many benefits, right? Building the evidence, like the success every day, you're building evidence in your brain so that you can feel capable, qualified and confident that ripples out. There's all these other components, but the ultimate benefit is 
by investing in self-care for yourself, you are investing in your dream life and you've only got one. So let's invest in the dream life. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm with you. I mean, I'm with you with all of that, (laughs) of course. Um, But I think the other part of it was the the showing my daughter what, showing your kids what self-care looks like so that they can, and I think you said, um, you know, breaking that pattern, you know, of, you know, what my, my parents and my grandparents lack of self-care. And now I'm bringing up this woman, this young woman, which is a big deal for a young woman because we often as women and mothers and wives tend to forget this component of self-care. And now I'm teaching her at such a young age that she's not going to know the alternative. She's not going to, you know, she's not going to be like, wait, I got to do this. This is part of my life. What are you talking about that I can't do this? You know, I think that would be the big benefit. Well, and by setting, by setting your dream life up, do you think about what you want for your kids? Exactly. You want them to live their dream life, their happiest, their happiest life, be their happiest self. So you are setting up through herself, through your self-care of setting yourself up for success. You are setting her up for success. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly it. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a no brainer. And when you start having that mind shift, because that's the thing, people talk about selfish. It's a selfish thing, especially among moms. And the minute that you do that mind shift with exactly what you just said, it's like, whoa, whoa, like, whoa, I got to do this because this is, I mean, I'm, this is a huge thing for, for our kids. So I just love everything about that. But yes, besides the endorphins, there's so much other aspects of the benefits of self-care. And I think that there are some of the things that I already mentioned when we talk about the struggle, the struggle with self-care. And I, I already mentioned that you might want to, you do this mind shift and you change the way you behave because now you want to start taking care of yourself or implementing self-care uh, behavior, the people around you may not like that. Yeah. You might even get criticism. Oh, and I think I said this at a presentation where I said, you know, I would hear the moms. Oh, look at her. Oh, she's, who does she think she is? Doesn't she know she has kids? What is she doing? You know, all the moms talking about each other. And I'm like, what is this high school? (laughs) Like, you know, and it's like the criticism because you're, you're trying to take care of yourself. The criticism from your family, I I, I mentioned it a hundred times and hopefully my mother's not listening to this, but (laughs) when I want to do self care, she's like, well, what about, what about your daughter? What about my daughter, mom? I need to do my thing so I can take care of her. I need to, I need to do my run. I need to like start tackling my debt. I need some, take some time to do my budget. I mean, that's, that's part of it. And that is hard, very hard to break because you, first of all, you can't control how they think and you have to build those boundaries. That's not easy, especially when it's your family. So, and there's this, I don't know what it is. I think there, so I'm not a mother. I have two dogs, <laughs> but even as a woman, I see it and feel it. So I think it is a womanhood thing, but then it definitely gets, um, it's catalyst when you become a mom. 
I'm sorry. When did we not become, when are we not humans? Like the second you become a mom, you're not a human anymore. You don't have any needs. So don't take care of yourself. You need to take care of your kid, but don't eat, don't drink Mm -hmm. water. Don't go to work. Don't do all Mm -hmm. of these things that take away from your kid because that's not you taking care of them. And I think that's bullshit. Right. Yep. Because guess what? I've got to take care of, if I'm taking care of my family, there's a roof over our head, there's food on the table, there's all these things. And I can't do that if I'm not eating, I'm not sleeping, I'm not drinking water, if I'm not taking care of myself in the base necessities. So somehow that's okay, but then taking an hour to wake up early and drink coffee and journal is not? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm getting fired up now. because I, <laughs> I just think that's like BS, right? It is, just, it is. And the fact that it's perpetuated by other women because... I'm sorry, we've just been indoctrinated into that kind of mentality. And so it's like, oh, self-care day, huh? Like, and we use it, we almost use it as a shield of like, I don't need self-care. I'm so strong. Um, you must be weak. And that perpetuates that idea. If we go back to like, at least my mindset in the twenties, it was weak and vulnerable and not for people who could keep on going. And sooner or later, that's going to do a couple of things. You're going to burn out. It's going to bite you in the butt. Mm-hmm. You're not going to, you're not going to know who you are. So when your kids leave the nest, life falls apart around you and, or you're going to see your kids not taking care of themselves and you're going to be preaching to them, take care of themselves. And they've grown up seeing you preach about, see that mom over there? She's self-care. What is that? And it's going to come back and bite in the butt because you're going to see your kids not living the happiness life. So I think, I think you are spot on. And I think that what you're doing here on the show is amazing. And I hope that everyone listening understands that There is so much power in self-care and it is a generational healing of sorts as well. Yeah. I love you. I love that you just said that. Absolutely. Yes. Oh my God. Huge. I mean, you're, you're like, you know, just that pattern, you're breaking the pattern. You're bringing in this new way of thinking for your children. Absolutely. I love that. Um, But yeah, it is a, it pisses me off um, (laughs) that I, you know, I hear it in the criticism and I think that, you know, for me, uh, the hardest is the family, but I, I'm setting up those boundaries. Sorry, <laughs> you know, um, but I will say that when I continue to do it, I do hear my daughter's friends talk about how amazing your mom is, that your mom is strong. Your mom works. I mean, I, when, yeah. she, when I hear them talk about me or when my daughter says, oh, you know, my girlfriends think that you're amazing You're you because you work out, you take care of yourself. And I'm just like, oh my God, <laughs> they're watching? Yes, they're watching. They're watching. Your kids are watching. Kids are watching. They're all watching. And you're becoming this role model for them. So when I hear things like that from my daughter, when I hear her her girlfriends talk about me like that, then that's kind of like the validation of I'm going to keep on doing it. You ain't going to stop me. Right? Totally. And I think that they're seeing you do it. I always try to look at the best case scenario. So if you've got a hater... Um, <laughs> They may be that way right now, but now they've seen an example of someone, a woman, a mother taking care of themselves. And so there's that example. And they may today be like, oh, right. But in two years, something might happen and they remember, well, wait, that person looked really happy and really empowered and they were taking care of themselves. What does that look like? And they start that journey from your example or their children are seeing that example and know that that's what they want for their life, whether it's happening in their home or not. 
And so I think that there's so much that can be said from an example, even if there are haters, they eventually, they're either going to keep on hating, which that's on them, or they're going to see that example and there's going to be something that happens and they're going to come back to that example and transform their life. Yeah, I I would say continue to do what you're doing, stay in your lane, because you would be surprised how some of these haters have came came back to me and said, I'm not happy. I see that you are. I see that you're doing your shit. How can I do it? And that's when I'm like, I mean, whoa, (laughs) you know, because you were hating me not too long ago. But, you know, and like you said, it's on them because it's it's they're getting triggered by something that's within them. Um, but I would say continue, you know, doing your thing, doing your shit, stay on your lane, keep on doing it. Um, because you, it's that role model, you know, you're being that role model. And I think that goes to the next uh, discussion that we were going to talk about, uh, the topic about how do we teach the younger generation of women what self-care is. And I talked about that role model. What do you think are other ways that we can teach them? I think we just got to talk about it. It's been taboo for so long. Mm-hmm. And then the only part that's not taboo anymore is this physical part, right? So we've got to expand. We've got to keep on having conversations like this. And we've got to keep on expanding the knowledge of what self-care looks like and that, that universe, right? Because that's going to be the door that opens up a couple discussions about it with showing examples. And I think that that can change the world, truly. Because if we look at self-care and the timeframes of what we've been talking about of it in our lives and our mothers and our grandmothers and things like that, we have been greatly influenced by media. Mm. I'm not going to go into like that whole, whole thing. (laughs) For most of us listening, we know, right? Yeah. But like the whole, there's a media thing that perpetuates what life should look like or the ideal woman or all of these pieces. And that is discussions. Even if it feels one way, that's a discussion, a showcase, an example of what things could, should, whatever be. So the more we talk about it across media outlets like podcasts, Mm -hmm. right? The more we're sharing this message, the more we are expanding the universe of self-care and saying, there's so much more to it. And you don't have to do just things one way, this way, because that's how you've seen it the way that we change that narrative is by showing examples and discussing it and expanding that even more. And I think that doing it yourself, obviously that's the example piece, but I think having discussions about it and being open and it's kind of like, I don't know why today just might be a financial day. I usually do not talk about finances <laughs> this much. I'm not even a number. Let's talk person. about it. Come on. I, I'm all for it. <laughs> think, think about how taboo it was to talk about if you were in debt. Think about how taboo it was to talk about finances with your friends. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And as that narrative has changed and stuff has been brought to light, we now know that most people in America have crippling debt. Most people leave with, I think it's $34,000 of debt when they get their bachelor's degree and it takes an average of 21 years for them to pay it off. And a big part of that is because we've only thought that there's one direction to go, which is school only, and debt is just part of it and we don't talk about it. But as that narrative has changed, we're starting to see there's other options, there's alternatives, or we can change the system to make it so it's affordable and people aren't leaving with crippling debt. So that's an example of how the narrative has changed and how 
role models have changed the system in a way that we can set it up to be more successful for us as individuals. And self-care is the exact same, in my opinion. As we have role models, role models like you out there speaking and saying, this is what self-care can actually look like. This is what can actually be. And people see that the more that that message is shared, the more that there are examples of other people as well, the more it becomes a movement. And that changes, that changes the face of what it looks like to be a woman and take care of yourself. Girl, preach. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, a movement. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, and you, you're right. When you talk about it, because I'm going to be honest with you, I was that person who didn't want to talk about my debt. I don't want people to know how much money I owe. But when I did, or I heard somebody else talk about it and see what they did, it kind of like, whoa, wow whoa, how did she did that? Wow. And she was so open about it. And she's telling me all her debt issues. And she's like, it it actually, uh, it, it actually gave me a voice as well to say, I I'm here. Here's my situation. Oh my God. How do I do this? And that is part of it. Yeah, absolutely. The talking about it, something about talking, hearing, Uh, listening to women. Like I said, when I saw the video of you talking about this anger, girl, I'm not kidding. I mean, in real, I'm being real. That was huge because when you're speaking, you're speaking to someone who knows exactly what you're talking about and how you took care of yourself and made the, you're, you matter. Like you said, you matter. You're going to, you're going to deal with this. You're going to figure out a way to get to the point where you want to be. That's empowering. You empowered me just like, just from listening to that video. And you're so right. The more we talk about it, and I know people are like, well, we could talk about it until we're blue in the face. No, girl, we, when you talk about it, there's going to be different aspects. Things start changing when you talk mm-hmm. because you might listen to it on a Monday and then you listen to it in, I don't know, December 1st of 2021. And all of a sudden, boom, even though it was the same message, something just ignited. I yeah. just think something happens when you keep talking about it. And you, you were right. You're creating this movement. Damn Taylor. Well, and it, it shows, it shows the options. Yeah. If you don't talk about it, you don't feel like there's any options. Yeah. Second, you talk about it and you see you overcame debt by doing X, Y, Z, or you lost the weight, or you overcame depression by running. Mm -hmm. Now people see that message and they go, okay, well, if I'm depressed or if I'm overweight or if I'm in debt, this is how this person did it. And now that option, that door has opened, whether they walk through it or not, it's totally on them. doesn't matter, but let's, let's have that discussion. So there's many doors to choose from instead of feeling like we're trapped in the room. Yep. Yep. So we were going to talk about tools, but I think we talked about a lot of those, which was, you know, talking about it and even talking about what you mentioned in the beginning, what you do with your clients, you know, some of the tools that you implement with them. Are there any other tools that you want to share with the listeners? Yes. I have something I teach called clear and it's in my mind, it's definitely a form of emotional self-care. It's a tool to have in your toolbox. So what it is, is it stands for circumstance, which is C, right? Language, emotion, action, and results. 
And the idea is that any circumstance that comes into your life, you got the promotion at work, you had a sibling die, uh, you got in a car accident, your wife had a baby. Like it doesn't matter those things that have happened in your life. Those circumstances are neutral. The language that we use going down the, the clear, right? The language that we use is what shapes the meaning of those circumstances. And as humans, almost instantaneously, our language shifts to our emotional reaction, which then leads to our physical reaction, which is the actions that we take, which then leads to the results of our life. So in a form of self-care, if you can kind of run through that model, and for, for me, at least for starting, I can do it kind of on the fly now after several years, but I would retroactively do it. So I'd be like... I behaved. I, hmm, I lost my temper. I behaved in a way I didn't want to behave. I, what happened? Well, my result is that I had an outburst. I got in a fight and now I'm not talking to somebody. All right. What were the actions of that? Well, the actions that I took were I, I didn't control my, I just let my emotions take over. I didn't control. Okay. Well, what emotions was I feeling? Well, I was feeling anger and frustration. And if I take back the blanket of that, I was actually scared that they were going to see that I didn't have my shit together. All right. Well, what languages I was using. They don't, they think I don't have my shit together. I've got, you know, and like then whatever the thing was that they were asking me about X, Y, Z. It's like you can retroactively work either up or down that model, that method. But what it is, is it's a form of self-care because you can then see, and we talked about this a little bit, like what happened? Who do I want to be? How do I need to pivot that in the future? And when you have the breakdown of like, okay, so what actions did I take? All right. All right. What emotions was I feeling? Okay. And that's an identifying of those emotions. We talked about that too. What language am I using? Okay. Does this language, is this who I want to be in my life? No, I don't want to be an angry person all the time. So how can I change my language around these circumstances to set me up for at least neutral emotions? You don't have to be happy if you got in a car accident, but you don't have to be raging angry either. You can kind of neutralize it and come up or down. And so for me, that is a huge element of emotional self-care because if I can retroactively or even proactively in the moment run through that model, I can set myself up for my emotional awareness. I can set myself up for habits and actions that support the life that I want. And I can get the results that I want all by simply changing my language and understanding that the circumstance is neutral. You know, I love, that is an amazing exercise. That is, that is a great exercise. And I want to ask you, is that how you continually... I don't want to say maintain, but well, maybe I will say maintain, maintain or like a, a self check that, you know, you are not, you're, you're still continuously leveling up. I would say absolutely. And it's so funny because coupling that with like tracking your successes every day, I'll share one from yesterday. So I had the day off of work yesterday. And so I woke up early and I've been working on an ebook. I finished that ebook. I sent out a contract for mentoring. I responded to all of my emails. I got a whole bunch of stuff prepped. Then I had breakfast and um, what did I do? Oh, I went and got my hair done. And then I came home and I was tired. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take a nap. I might read. I'm reading Harry Potter again for like the millionth time because I'm trying, (laughs) I do self-help books all the time, but I'm trying to have Mm -hmm. more fun. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to read some fun books for a minute. And then I, then like I took another nap and then I had to get ready and I had a photo shoot in the evening and I got home last night and I was like, I didn't get anything done today because I just thought, okay, I got my hair done. That took three, four hours. Then I napped and read a book and then I went and got a photo shoot. Right. So I was like, I had so many things I needed to get done and I didn't get done. 
And then I can run through the clear model and go, what language is happening here? Because now I feel my emotions are like, oh, you're worthless. And you like, oh, I'm depressed and sad. And I didn't get stuff done that I said I would get done. And then where my actions are, I'm like, well, instead of going and getting it done, it can go either way. But in my case, in most people's cases, I'm like, okay, well, now I feel overwhelmed by these poor emotions. So I'm not going to get anything done. I'm going to put it off. I'm going to go eat some sugar. I'm going to go open the fridge at midnight. <laughs> and, and then my results are I'm up till one o'clock in the morning, feeling like crap, eating food, wishing I got more done. And then the next morning I'm waking up late and that cycle continues. Mm-hmm. So if I run through the clear model, I can go, okay, well, what language am I using? Well, why am I using this language when let's look at the actual facts? success tracking. I look at my success tracking and I go, actually, I finished an entire ebook yesterday. That's like pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. Oh, I actually sent out some contracts. I followed up on all of my emails. I did all of these things to set myself up for success, but they happened early and they weren't the big chunks. And so I was discounting them. So using the clear model plus a success tracking in that has really helped me shape my mindset to catch myself when I'm beating myself up unnecessarily and help me practice self-care from an intellectual and emotional standpoint. And you are, you're actually telling people that w- there is no end goal with this journey. Oh, it, no. You're, <clears throat> you're continuously working through it. You're continuously leveling up. It's not like, oh, I am happy. Now I'm, I'm done. I'm the expert. Now, you know, it, no. it is, it's, it's a journey that you have to continuously work at, right? And, totally. But I think with you, <clears throat> you found these tools that are almost, and I think it, it, same thing with me. I have a couple of tools that I have under, you know, the back my back back of my pocket um, <laughs> that have become a habit. Mm-hmm. They're they're a habit, and then I think, like you even said earlier today, the more you practice it, you know, you 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 just starts becoming natural to you. The minute that you and I, I have done that, the minute I get triggered by something, by somebody saying something, I stop myself and say, "Whoa, wait a minute, what is going on here, Lisa? What the hell's going? What's what's going on?" You know, what are you feeling right now? Yeah. And it, it is just a continuous effort, but you get to the point where you just start, you know, working on these tools faster than later. And, you know, you're just continuously, I always feel like, I almost feel like it's like this journey of continuously leveling up and then leveling up and then mm-hmm. leveling up. It's just constant going up, up, up further. You know, I don't know where, where we're going to end up, but it, there is no ending. It's just this journey of leveling up continuously. So I love that you share that. And I know that I was going to talk about, you know, your, your IGTV and how you leveled up, but I think you pretty much mentioned a lot of the things that you did do to get to the point where you can work on yourself and, and being self-aware. Is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners that we didn't talk about as far as what are other ways you do level up besides those tools? Is there anything else that you do do? I, I do want to lean in on really quickly that the journey is never finished thing because going along with like my initial mindset breakthrough of, I had this belief that happiness was inherent so many people and myself way back in the day too had this belief that I'll be happy when, right? And the truth of it is, is that if you can put in place happiness habits, so things like clear, things like tracking your successes. And um, I also do a technique called slay. 
which I'm happy to go in in a second. But like, if you can do these emotional happiness habits in your life, and they don't even have to be emotional, they can be physical, like running and things like that, working out every day, reading a personal development book every day, drinking water and being healthy, like all of these things kind of come together in that will of self-care for sure. But when you can invest in yourself and your happiness habits, be willing to trial and error and figure out what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and know that you are going to be happy along the way because of the habits versus I'll be happy when, that can be a huge shift. But so I was going to say the other thing that I do every day that I just love is called slay. And essentially what it is, is I sit down and in the morning, you can do it anytime, but in the morning I write down, I am feeling, and the first emotion that comes to mind, that's usually a negative one. Uh, so I am feeling angry. It's my most frequent. And I'm, I'm a happiness mentor. I'm not happy all the time. And anger is my top tier emotion other than happiness. So I always have to work on it. But I am feeling angry or blank, insert negative emotion that comes to mind here because dot, dot, dot. And on that piece of paper, I'll do a bullet point and I'll write the reason why I'm feeling angry. And then when I get that out, I'll bullet point again, the next reason why I'm feeling angry, the next reason why I'm feeling angry, the next, and I'll do it for like, as long as I need to a whole page, front to back, whatever I feel like I need to, to get it out. And the thought there is that we often take the first reason why, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm angry because so-and-so got the promotion at work. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's dig deeper. And when you can uncover the whys, you can start to go, well, that's actually absurd. Or, ah, I am angry about that. How can I solve that so that I'm no longer angry? But if we don't take that minute to actually organize those thoughts, which is the whole importance of writing it out, you can type it too. But if you write it out, it takes it from the clutter of your brain and puts it onto paper. It organizes it. And now it feels like it's tangible. You can actually work through it and understand it. So I do that every day. And at the end of it, I rip up that paper. I don't tell anybody what I've written. I don't share with my spouse. You made me angry. And I wrote about it today in slang. I don't do that. It's my own thing. It's an, it's an, a technique to get those emotions up out and away from you. So you shred it, you throw it away, you hit delete on the computer, whatever it is, and you move on. But the thought there is that now you have an understanding of why you're feeling the way you may be feeling. You have gotten those stories out. You can look at them and go, what can I do here? Or is that just kind of how it is? You can make those decisions because you're empowered by it. But if you just say, I'm angry because so-and-so, you're not empowered by that emotion and you're not empowered to change your life. And so for me, especially in emotional self-care, slaying is a huge technique that has helped me tremendously understand my emotions and move forward from them. And that coupled with clear, because there's that emotional piece, is really beneficial. Taylor, you dropped some major, major nuggets throughout this entire interview. I mean, you gave a lot of tools for the listeners, for myself. I, I can't thank you enough. This was amazing. Um, where can we find you? Yeah. So I, um, first off, thank you. I'm so excited to be here and have the, had the chance to talk with you and your audience. Uh, yeah. So you can find me at happinessabound.com. Um, I have my own podcast, uh, 500 plus episodes called happiness abound. And then I also have a Facebook group where I do free jumpstart your, the five day jumpstart your happiness challenges. And that Facebook group is happiness abounders. And we'll put all of those links on the episode notes so that people can get to you. Taylor, thank you so much for being here and talking to me. And I really enjoyed this. And I have like a, a 
face cramp from smiling so much because that's how I feel right now. But is this is an important discussion. And I just want to thank you again for being here with us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for facilitating such an amazing discussion. Oh, stop it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Till next time. Bye. Bye.